Hey listeners, it's Adam here. Uh, right at the top of the show, before we hear the intro music or anything like that, I wanted to say thank you to a few of our sponsors. Ale Asylum and Carbon 4 both donated beer to our last storytelling event, the uh, Childhood Memories event. That's the episode you'll be listening to now, uh, which was awesome because it afforded us the ability to provide beer for our attendees, and then um, we raise money through that and are able to pay off the fees that we accrue doing the event. And, uh, you know, the, the fees of doing a podcast is not a free thing for us. We'd love to make it free for you, though. And then also Batch Bakehouse and um, Glass Nickel Pizza West. They both uh, donated gift cards to be given away as prizes. That's a big part of what makes Madison Story Slam what it is. We like to be able to give away things and um, make it a you know sort of competition and just have a good time. So thank you to those businesses. Uh, they are a huge part of what we do. So please go support them and, and spend your money at their businesses. They, they all offer great things anyway, so it's not like I'm telling you to go buy something you don't want. Uh, if you are a business owner or know a business owner who might like to be involved in Madison Story Slam, the best way to do that would be to go to www.madisonstoryslam.com. You can send us a message there, and we can just work from that. And then if you're just an individual who likes what we do and wants to help support, you can go to the same website and go to the support page to learn what you could do. We're on Patreon. And then we're also um, uh, an Amazon affiliate, which means you can click through to Amazon. And if you have something you want to buy, you just go to our website first, click through to Amazon, purchase whatever you want, and then we get a percentage of that sale. It's really simple. It's no extra cost to you, and it's just helping support the podcast. So again, thank you to our sponsors and thank you to our fans who uh, really make what Story Slam what it is. Let's get on with this episode. Hello, welcome to Madison Story Slam. I am your host, Adam Rosted. Thank you for joining us for this wonderful Childhood Memories episode. We were live at the Wilmar Center uh, on Jennifer Street, and we had several storytellers sign up. We had a few technical difficulties right away, uh, but everything worked out in the end. Uh, lots of good stories about being children, and uh, you barely have to hear from me at all. Hey, our next Story Slam event is April 18th. The theme is It Wasn't My Fault. Our first storyteller is coming from you, coming to you from Seattle. He is my cousin. His name is Mark Todd. So let's get right to it. Here's Mark. Uh, I will admit to being slightly bitter that I went first, but that's okay. Um, so the story begins in early 70s in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest, actually about an hour south of Seattle. I grew up in that area and when I was little my dad was either a drug dealer or possibly a surgeon or some other thing and I was so little I didn't really know which all I knew is he had uh, what back then was called a beeper some of you know what those are they later became called pagers and then morphed into cell phones and those morphed into smartphones etc but my dad had a beeper and it didn't matter if it was like Christmas at 8 p.m. or Thanksgiving at 2 a.m., uh, Saturday, it didn't matter. That thing would go off and he would leave. 
Um, or he just wouldn't come home, and I would assume it was that beeper thing that went off. And so it was not remotely unusual for my mom to pack my sister and I up, put us in the car. It was a Ford LTD. It was about 97 feet long. It was brown and had two doors. Later became mine when I was 16. Awesome. Um, we'd drive down to my dad's work, and I remember we'd always park in the back, and we'd, you know, we'd bring him dinner or something along those lines. And right before we'd walk in, my mom would kind of grab us. My sister's, if I didn't already say it, she's five years older than I am. So I'm little. Around this time, if you uh, picture... Uh, anybody seen a pony keg? It's not like the full-size keg, but a pony keg is the little keg, and then if you attach arms to it and feet to it, that was roughly how I was shaped. Um, I had, I have a, a mark on my arm right now that I was told is from the fat roll that... I'm 42 years old. It is still there. Um, so my, we would walk up to the door, and this, imagine this little kid with huge hair, and we'd walk up, and my mom would kind of grab us and lovingly but seriously say, you will be quiet. We'll be quiet. We're at my dad's office. Cool. So we would walk down the hallway, pretty excited to see dad. He's been gone a long time, creep up to the door, and like almost every kid in America, I'm sure you've all done this, We'd watch my dad, he'd turn away from his IBM Selectric typewriter and look up at us, and at some point we'd go, any new dead people here today, Dad? (laughs) My dad was a mortician. (laughs) Totally normal, right? Like, uh, we would go visit my dad and be excited about seeing dead people. There's a look on your face right now that is so like, I don't know if I want to be in this room. Um, but we actually grew up relatively normal. The bonus part of growing up in that manner is that I have never really considered death a strange thing. It's a fact of life. And uh, that's been a bonus. I've, I've been able to see and do things that would normally freak out some people. Um, not so much for me. The benefit for my folks was that they raised this kid, the keg with legs. Uh, and uh, so the second part of the story is that we went down, uh, my dad was a mortician, and that meant we did not make tons of money. And when you don't make tons of money, you don't go to Hawaii or Tahiti or things like that. But we would um, become voluntarily homeless in the Northwest. That's called camping. And so we had enough money that we could grab some family friends, jam the car full of a bunch of crap that you needed when you're homeless. Um, and drive like four or five, six hours down the coast to Oregon or Northern California. And at that point, um, I should back up slightly. I was too young to remember this story. I was told this, you know, probably when I hit my teens. So we went on a particular trip, went down the coast, traveled four or five, six hours, got there, and kids go nuts. I was the youngest by all, of all the kids by probably three, four years. And we would get out of the car. Kids would just go bananas running all over the place. Parents would start setting up tents, cooking fires, getting ready. Uh, cooking fires? Do you cook a fire? <laughs> Starting fires, getting food prepared to cook, and we would go crazy. This is the 70s. Those are the days when your folks knew where you were going to be or where you were. Life is grand. As a matter of fact, the the mantra in our house was, uh, you were to be seen and not heard. So uh, if I was also not seen or heard, yeah! Uh, And so we'd go nuts. At some point, we'd end up back in the the campfire. And this story is the time that Mark nearly died and became my dad's customer twice in one day. So we're going crazy. The parents have set up a campfire. We come back. Everybody's running around. And I'm the little kid trying to keep up with the big kids. Trip over a tree root, ricochet off the tent, 
flat on my back into the fire. The fire is going, and I'm like, I'm a keg with legs, right? Like, how, do, how does a turtle roll back over? Not fast. So I'm laying there, and I just, when my mom's telling me the story, I'm probably in my mid to early teens, and I'm now thinking I'm going to be uh, in the NFL, possibly in the NBA, NFL, and Major League Baseball. Like, I am an athlete. Uh, so she's telling me this story, and... I just know that I don't have burns on me at all. I have no scars from fire. And so I'm like, what happened? Did you just snatch me out of there right away? Did somebody just happen to have a bucket of water? And she's like, no, you did this crazy thing. You hit the fire, like three years old. You hit the fire and you arched your back and legged under onto safe land. I'm like, that's what you do when you're a wrestler, which I later was. I'm like, athlete. <laughs> And so I'm like, wow, this is going to happen. This is beautiful. And I start talking smack to my mom, like, yes. She's like, let me tell you about the afternoon. <laughs> so the same day, this is car camping in the 70s in the Pacific Northwest. If you need water, you just hoof across this little trail. And there's a spigot. You pump water, and you come back. Uh, you need to go to the bathroom. You can go down five campsites, and there's a place for you to, to take care of your business. For a quarter, you can take a five-minute shower that is ice cold piece of cake. There's no harm here. And the kids can go nuts. The parents like that. So all the big kids take off. This little ball of a boy uh, realizes that they're on their way. And I say, oh, I have to catch up. But I'm this tall. My head is basically the same size around as my, my chest. I start taking off, run straight into the street. And two teenage, or two teenage girls on 10 speeds, thump, thump ran me over, like flat over, <laughs> flat on my back. My mom said that I had a tire track across the top chest, a tire track across the lower chest, just wearing my white t-shirt, you know, um, uh, and they go flying, elbows are scraped up, knees are banged up, They're, I'm sure their hands are wrecked, they think they've just killed a little boy. Um, I'm either not smart or tough, or tough because I'm not smart, and I apparently pop up and keep going on my merry way. So I, I, I just don't, I, they were screaming and crying and everything was fine for me. I do know, however, that when I wear t-shirts with a logo, they tend to pull to the right side. And if you saw me without my shirt off after you were done being horrified, you would notice that there's a little bit of a dent there. I have no idea if it's from the bike ride or not. Um, at any rate, I know that that didn't freak me out, and I think the fact that my parents dealt with dead bodies, my dad dealt with dead bodies all the time, as long as I was north of the dirt, they were cool. Um, and so I've had this perspective, and I'm thankful for it. It's a weird way to grow up that your dad dealt with dead people, but I've seen and done things. I've, I've been within two feet of a great white shark. Um, I've seen bull sharks feeding uh, I've gone into countries that you're not supposed to go to, legally speaking, uh, and I've enjoyed them all, and I'm alive, and I'm thankful for it. So I thank my folks. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I think we've all watched Discovery Channel 2. We've all seen Shark's Feet. <laughs> One more time for my cousin, Mark. Uh... 
Okay, so like I said at the beginning, we do five to ten minute stories. At some point, if you're up here telling a story and you see me kind of flashing a light at you, that's just going to be, hey, you've got three minutes. You should really wrap it up. It's not that your story's boring. It might be boring. Uh, it's just that we have a limited amount of time to be here tonight, and we want to hear everybody's story who signed up. Um, our next storyteller is uh, a guy you may know. Uh, you may or may not know. It'll make sense in a second. You'll get that joke. His name is Scott. Oh, nobody. Scott, you want to start making your way up here? Uh, uh, our next storyteller is a guy uh, who was actually on the podcast. Just so you know, we, we record a podcast. We record these stories and put them online. And then I also do interview episodes. Uh, Scott has been on the podcast. I interviewed him uh, back in December. It was a great episode. Go back and check it out. But uh, please give a warm welcome to Madison mayoral candidate Scott Resnick. So, thank you so much, Adam. You gave me no brief to what I was going to be doing here tonight. So this is a bit off the cuff. And as I'm thinking about my parents, you know, my dad would always say, like, shh, don't tell your mom. When he would do things that were cr way inappropriate for whatever age I was at. So as we're all talking about our fathers and our mothers here, you know, one of the very first memories, and you, and you go back to think of, like, what is your very first memory that you have right now. And I think to my own, and I'm actually sitting right in front uh, of the TV with my father watching a show called The A-Team. And this is the one with Mr. T, Hannibal, Smith, Face, Murdoch. And, and it was a show of the 1980s where these mercenaries would be going through day-to-day uh, -day activities, rescuing people uh, on these absurd missions where they would come out there with machine guns, fire thousands of hundreds of thousands of rounds of ammunition, never hit anything, never shoot anybody. No one ever died in the show. Uh, a very unrealistic show, but perfect for an NBC uh, sitcom during the 80s. That's actually my first childhood memory uh, sitting there with my father. And he would always be showing me different movies that I probably shouldn't be watching at the time. So I remember being five years old and watching Jurassic Park. And when you think about, like, what's the right age to watch Jurassic Park, it's not when you're five years old. Uh, the Velociraptors look very, very real. The Tyrannosaurus Rex chasing after uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, like, that still haunts me to this day. Uh, if a water is shaking, uh, thanks to my father. He just said, like, Shh, don't tell your mother. This is going to be really, really cool. Um, yeah, that probably explains those nightmares. Uh, my mother, surprisingly, also did the same thing. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie Fargo? Yeah. Like the wood chipper scene in Fargo? Not the memory that you want to have when you're eight years old. Um, yeah, I still, I'm from northern Wisconsin. I'm originally from Wausau. Came back down uh, to UW-Madison. Uh, still don't like going by wood chippers. Just thinking, like, if there was a body in there, not what you want to have happen. Um, we were thinking about other stories that my dad just exposed me to. So he's a DJ. Uh, he was at a rock radio station. He would always be producing different concerts. And I probably was in the third grade at this time. Uh, do people know the band uh, Collective Soul? They, yeah, they, they, they actually are still, I, like I was Googling this on the way here, they're still on tour. You can, like 20 years later, they are still on tour. You can see them at the Illinois State Fair. Um, phenomenal place to go catch a show. Um, 
when I was in third grade, I got a contact high from Collective Soul because my father thought it was going to be a great idea. He's producing the show later tonight. Let's put my third grader and who's the most responsible person in the room. It's the band Collective Soul. Um, so I'm sitting there backstage with that band. Um, as now what I figured out what was going on like many years later explains the entire rest of the story. But, you know, your parents go out and do this every single night. We're like, oh, don't tell your mother, don't, you know, they, but they're still out there, uh, very loving individuals, um, still out there to care about you. So I still think about everywhere that I've gone now, being able to meet so many different people, and I think about how eventually I'll raise my own children, uh, my wife is back there, and I will probably say the same exact thing to my own kids, um, saying, shh, don't tell your mother, um, even today. So uh, I thank you all for coming out here tonight. This is a great event. Uh, remember to go out and vote. Uh, take care. Listen to a podcast. That's my own plug. Thank you so much. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> I like that. That was. Uh, it wasn't overtly political. Just, just that that little part. Uh, Scott did inhale. That's what uh, what we've learned tonight. He did inhale. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> sorry, Scott. Our next storyteller is somebody who has crapped his pants at 16. Everybody give it up for James Farley. That's a good intro. <laughs> that intro is so nice. It, 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 it really raised the expectation, so it'll be easy for me to walk under him. You know? Um... <laughs> Uh, so, a couple of disclaimers before I tell my story. Um, first, I um, this story is a lot about religion, and I don't begrudge anyone their, their faith, so I want to make that very clear. Um, and also, I'm going to stretch the limits of tonight's theme, and I'm going to tell a story about a time that I was 17. Um, so not, not so much childhood memory, but that's okay. Um, so, for... Um, for the first part of my life, going to church was an important thing in my family because we spent a lot of time doing it. Um, it was half an hour to get to church, half an hour to get home, and then an hour at church. And there were things during the week, too. So I spent a lot of time going back and forth to church, spending just church. It was, it was, it was not great. It was boring for a small person. And uh, so... I did not feel like there was a sense of community there. I, I was I was horribly depressed when I was a teenager, and I and I was looking for a sense of community outside of the small group of friends that I had. And I thought that since my my, my church had a youth group that I was not taking part in because I was a very I was a very shy person, and I decided that I was going to put myself out there and take part in it because they had a great community. It seemed like, and everyone was very happy. So I did that, and it was not great. Um, it all of all of the all the ideas about sexual repression that happen in those in those youth groups are true. There's 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 a lot of repressed sexual tension there that that nobody wants to acknowledge, and it's very weird. So I was getting frustrated not finding the sense of community that I wanted to find, and then. 
World Youth Day came up in 2002. World Youth Day is a gathering of Catholic youths from all over the world that costs $1,500 to go to. I thought to myself, if, if, if I go on this thing and I still don't feel the fire of the Lord, then this is not for me. So, so this was going to be like, like, like my test to see if I could, my $1,500 test to see if I liked church. So we went on the trip, and I remember three specific... I, I really don't remember a lot of it, because a lot of it was just not great, but not horrible. Uh, there were hundreds of thousands of people there. It was very crowded, very hot, very humid. So the, the first thing I remember is on the second day, there was an opening ceremony where the Pope... Like, we all went to this stage, and we were 200 miles away from the stage because there were so many people and the Pope got there to open things up and he drove his Pope mobile through the crowd. He was he was no, no he was he was no more than twenty feet from me and people all around me, like you see on TV and you hear about people freaking out um, during a, a religious thing, like like they're like they're really feeling the spirit and stuff, and like people were crying and shaking and I just was standing there like this is just a dude in a car. He I, I was I was not I was not feeling this and it was like it was really off putting to me. Uh, so, so that was the first strike against the, the, the first strike of, of, of three against Christianity for me. Uh, the second one was that there was a foot washing thing there because um, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples to show that he was no better than they were and stuff. And so we were supposed to wash the feet of someone we did not know. Uh, and this was, I mean, the, 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 re, yeah, the reason you're laughing is because it sounds terrible, and it was. Um, I got put with this very cute French girl who did not speak English, and I was really worried about this because uh, I was going to be touching her feet a lot, and the thing that really bothered me was that there was no time limit. Like, no one told you when you were supposed to switch, and I had no idea how I was going to know when to switch. So I was, like, washing her feet and just thinking I want to be anywhere else right now. And then I looked up at her face, and looking up at her face was how I was able to figure out that I'd gone too long. Because... She was she was looking at me like like she just wanted to throw me in the trash, like like yeah. The, 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 there was no there was no Christian love radiating from her eyes. So I did not get my feet washed because I didn't want her anywhere near my feet after she looked at me like that. So that was strike two. Finally, on on the last day before we all started heading home in the bus, there was a big closing ceremony, and the Pope was there too. So the thing about the closing ceremony was that everybody at the gathering was supposed to sleep under the stars. I don't know why. It doesn't have anything to do with Christianity sleeping under the stars. Um, but we were supposed to do that. And then we were going to wake up in the morning, have breakfast. There was going to be a ceremony with the Pope, and it was going to be great. And then we were going to leave. We woke up in the morning, and it was incredibly hot and incredibly humid. And in those conditions, it's important that you drink water. It's really important. Um, and a lot of the people that were in my group with me weren't drinking water. They were drinking sugary beverages, and that's very bad. Um, so that was the first thing that was happening. And also, it was raining terribly. So... <laughs> 
So what happened was the Pope came out on the stage and there was a there was a very cute girl that I had not talked to for the whole trip who was in my group, but she was very cute. Um, we'll call her Jenny. And she... <laughs> The Pope came out on the stage, and all of a sudden, the sunshine, like like sunshine, just came down, like 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 the the skies parted because the Pope had come out. And I heard some guy off to the right of me say, "This is the day the Lord has made." And I looked over to the left. Jenny had not been drinking enough water; she was terribly dehydrated, so she was hunched down in a garbage bag pooping and peeing in a garbage bag and like she had she had a bucket for all of her puke in front of her too i i I don't know if that was entirely the heat but she'd done something terribly wrong and and it was just so hot and sticky and this cute girl was just making stuff come out of three holes and it was like my word if that's I, I i i thought to myself if this is the day the lord has made then screw that noise thanks three holes i saw several people out in the crowd go three i, I know there's two Anyhow, our next storyteller is dating a good friend of mine. Not that that has anything to do with uh, uh, (laughs) anything. (laughs) Uh, But uh, she's a very nice girl. She was in my wedding, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Let's give it up for weddings, right? (laughs) Give it up for Crystal Wren! Like all women everywhere, I have no merits other than the man I am dating. Thank you, Adam. So um, my childhood was very interesting. Um, My mom is this like crazy French lady, so we were definitely the kids with the weird lunches. Um, We would like open our lunch boxes, and everyone would be like, "Ew, what's that smell?" And I'd be like, "It's my sardine sandwich." And there'd be like a head and a tail of the fish sticking out of the um, bread. But she's a very wonderful woman, and that has nothing to do with this story at all. And I'm cheating a little bit because it's two stories smushed into one. Um, But when I was six or seven, my dad bought me a pony for Christmas, every little girl's dream, Um, except he actually, like, raised horses, so it wasn't that big of a deal. It was really just an investment for himself. But um, so he had bought me this pony. He was really excited about it. So we decided to go, like, out for a trail ride. And trail rides with my dads weren't, like, around the block. They were, like, two, three, four-hour long rides. And it was Christmas in Colorado, so it wasn't, like, freezing, like, it is here, but it wasn't warm either. So we like set off on this ride and about uh, an hour and a half or so into it, this pony just like stops dead in its tracks. Cause if you guys don't know, ponies are little shits. There's nothing lovely about a pony. So this pony just like stops dead in its tracks. And my dad like, it's like, come on, like get your horse to move. So I'm like kicking the horse with all my like seven year old might. And the pony's like rolling its eyes. Like, yeah, right. I'm going to do what you say. It keeps like turning around. I'm like having to turn it back to go the right way. And like, it doesn't want to listen to me at all so my dad's like getting really irritated he has a very short temper so he's like you need to get this pony moving so I like kick it as hard as I can the pony's had enough turns around races back towards our house and is just like taking off and at this point I'm just like holding onto the horn of the saddle and I'm like dad and he's like well fuck 
fuck? Like, get the fucking... Just swearing up a storm. Trying to get this pony to stop, which it will not do. And then in the distance, we see this fence, because the pony is not, like, keeping on the trails. It's just running the shortest distance back to the house that it can. And I was like, what is going to happen? Like, this little tiny pony cannot jump this fence. So finally, the pony gets to the fence and just stops dead, and I roll over the top of it. And, um... My dad's very upset with me and makes me get back on this pony. And at this point, I'm just, like, hysterical and crying. Um, And perhaps as punishment to that story, um, several years later, about five years later, my dad buys a lake house in northern Wisconsin where all of his family is from. And um, him and his partner and both of my sisters, I'm the middle child, so I'm unloved, um, both of my sisters get brand-new 10-speed bicycles. So all four of them have brand-new 10-speed bicycles. And I get a hand-me-down from my cousins called the beach monster and the beach monster was a banana seat bicycle it was mint green and it literally said beach monster on it just in case anyone was wondering how cool it was Uh, it was a back pedal brake bike so not 10 speeds so we would go on these long bike rides and by we i mean they would go on these long bike rides and i would be like furiously pedaling behind them hoping to catch up cars are like honking at me because i'm just going way too slow Um, And I tried complaining about it, and to no avail, my dad insisted that I could ride the beach monster just fine. So those are stories of how my dad doesn't love me. Thank you, Crystal. Uh, I like that Crystal can legitimately say that she was bought a pony. And, like, it's for real. Like, you really don't hear about that. Um, Our next storyteller is dating a good friend of mine. Uh, He, in in fact, is dating the last storyteller. He was not in my wedding. We're not that close. Uh, But everybody give a big round of applause for Dan McHugh. Thank you. So this story takes place, I think, around fifth grade. And in fifth grade, me and two of three of my best friends were all kids from like the same block. I kind of feel like that didn't really happen that much then. Like it's all just you know, you watch Sandlot and you see all these kids that grow up like across the street from each other, always getting into shenanigans. But like that was kind of what it was like. So me and uh, the twins next door, Stephen and James, and then my other friend Chris, all hung out together all the time. And we live right next to an elementary school uh, that we would go to. They had a nice park there uh, where we just hung out. We would take our Razor Freestyle scooters up there and do some crazy tricks or take our bikes down. Yeah, Razor Freestyle scooters. That kind of <laughs> Or uh, there was this one like jump that we would take down our bikes off of, which it really wasn't a jump. It was just kind of more of like a pit that like kind of came back up. So it was really miraculous if you were able to get any air at all, but we did that all the time. Anyway, so we were on one of our jaunts over there and um, the three of us were going with our, and we played tennis up there sometimes too, brought some tennis rackets and uh, we passed this guy on the way and it was an older kid um, probably around like 14 or 15 which to us was just like adults but scarier because they weren't scary enough to know that they should be responsible or like nice to you or anything so we were going to the tennis courts and this guy just like 
started yelling at us or giving us trouble or something, just like heckling us. Just being, I, I don't totally remember what he said, but I imagine it was something along the lines of like, oh, you guys going in the woods to make out or something? So, yeah. It's like, yeah, dude. So... <laughs> So we so we went over and he, he eventually like ran up to our bikes and started like harassing us more. And I still don't remember anything about him, but to this day me and Stephen James and Chris who we were with always just referred to him as the crusty toothed kid. And which sounds mean, but but and and it was, but it was nowhere near as mean as where the rest of the story is going. So <laughs> So he came up to us and started yelling at us, and like eventually he started getting like physically threatening, like he was gonna beat us up or something. And like we all went to like Catholic schools and stuff, so we were like, we don't know how to fight. So he started yelling at us. Luckily, we had bikes, so like we started like slowly pedaling away, and he started yelling at us more. And then he started like sprinting off after us, and I was terrified. I was looking back on my bike, and I knew that I should say something cool, and. At this point, I said something pretty bad, and uh, I won't defend it at all, but really what I said to him, and this was like spur of the moment, I didn't have anything going through my head, I just was like terrified and didn't know what to do, and I said, sorry, I don't play with retards, and I kept biking on my bike, which I realized a minute late, a second later, was really only offensive to myself. And anyways, I yelled it, and I felt terrible about it. And I remember, even like in days when, you know, you and your friends were like sort of referring to yourselves as, you know, if you would just call someone a name, you'd call them a retard, even though, and even though it's terrible. But anyways, that's what we did at the time. And even then, I remember my neighbor looking at me, he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, man, I'm sorry, can we just bike away? I got to get out of here. <laughs> And so we biked away. And eventually, when we were done, we started biking home. And uh, the kid, like, ran up to us again and cornered us. And he was, like, he was, I don't know, he was, again, looking physically threatening about ready to throw down or something. But eventually he walked away, and we kept biking home. But that wasn't the end of it, because I decided it would further be a better idea to provoke him again. And... This also wasn't a good thing. Not as bad, so don't worry. I got the part that I was terrible out of the way. But I remember after I was a safe distance away, and I was on a bike so I could easily escape, and we, are, we were you know, good Christian Catholic boys, so I would never flick someone off. But I would flick them off with the ring finger... <laughs> Which in some way was better. <laughs> because it meant that I wasn't as bad of a kid or something. So I did that. And then he just started dead sprinting at us. And we were like, okay. So before he was like kind of jogging up, just kind of being, but this was a full on just sprint. So we biked as fast as we could. Me and Steve, we crossed the corner, went back into our driveways. And well, actually, I went into his driveway and he was really angry. He was like, dude, this guy's going to know where I live. And I knew what exactly what he was thinking because I was thinking it too. I was like, I don't want to go where I live because he's going to come back. <laughs> he's going to come back and murder my family. And. <laughs> 
as a 14-year-old kid who, whatever. So I went into his uh, driveway, and Steve was pissed off. He, like, kicked my bike on the way into his driveway. It's like, dude, you shouldn't come here. And But luckily, the guy didn't see where we went. He did see where Chris went, though, because Chris didn't have to turn the corner uh, to go to his house. His was just right there. So he ran through his front door, crusty tooth kid, sprinted after him, and just started wailing on the door. And be like, I, I just, I didn't really see it because I was too far away, but I just imagined him just like spitting and screaming on the door, just pounding it to get in. And so I, I, I went like a safe distance away so I couldn't see it anymore. And the only next thing I see was that kid booking it off in the exact opposite direction. And then about five seconds later, Chris's dad in his pickup truck just beelining it down the road. <laughs> and that was the last we saw of the crusty tooth kid. Stay up here with me. Thank you, Dan. Stay up here real quick, and we're all going to shame you because you said the R word. Uh, the next storyteller wishes that he was dating a good friend of mine. All right, the joke is officially old. I get it. Uh, his name is Dave. You may have heard him tell stories here before. Um, usually, he's at about 11. Uh, if you know him personally, he's usually at about a 3. Uh, so watching him tell stories is very entertaining. So everybody give a great round of applause for Dave Babbler. What's up, guys? So, I know I'll try, but no guarantees. Um, oh, look at this. People I know. <laughs> That's weird. This is that big now that I'm seeing people that I know. We'll talk later. <laughs> um, so, I don't really necessarily have a story or like a narrative. I, I typically don't. I tell stories. Um, so, I'm just going to sort of give my commentary on the subject of childhood memories. I uh, actually, Adam asked me to uh, design the poster for this event. I didn't do the whole thing, I just did like a brief illustration for it. But as I'm thinking about it, as a graphic designer, you really want to make a connection with as many people see this poster. So I'm thinking about what are things everyone, you know, relates to as childhood memories. What's going to grab people's attention and what's going to be like, oh yeah, I get that. Or like, oh yeah, we did that. And as I'm thinking about all that, um, there's, a, there's one common theme that just like kept coming up and that was imagination. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so if any of you saw the poster or like on Facebook, social media, whatever, I came up with like these two tin cans that everyone put a string between and they would go in one room and be like, hey, I'm in the other room, but you can totally hear me because there's a string in a can. Like, and like, and you get like super excited about it because this, this is no longer Campbell's Chunky Soup. This is your communication device. And, and, and this imagination is carried throughout like everything that you do in like your young, young childhood. It's not like just the tin can. It is literally everything. Let me give you a few examples of experiences that I've had. Another one that I was thinking about trying to illustrate is the lava floor. Anyone? Yeah! The lava floor. If any of you don't know, you're going to have a really great time tonight. Talk to me about it. I'll give you the details. It's not too late. Imagination is ongoing. You're not too old. But the thing is, is I had a very unique experience with the lava floor in that 
we had this room in our house that we called the red rug. <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a red shag carpet floor that might as well be lava that you can walk on. It's just like you can feel the texture. I feel like I'm walking on a red bear. It was just like this ugly 60s it was red carpet. You don't just go put red carpet in a building unless it's like the 1960s. That's the point I'm trying to make. Um, so we had this room called the Red Rug, and we always referred to it as that. Like you didn't say, like, "Hey, I, I can't find my toy." You know where it was? I think it was in the Red Rug. <laughs> it was. They weren't saying it's on the floor. Like you might think, "Oh yeah," but to us, that was the room. <laughs> it was defined by this red lava floor carpet. Um, that's just one example. Another one is this one's. I probably have never told anybody. Again, this is just commentary. This isn't a story. Um, I did this thing. Most people who say. We have to go visit your aunt and uncle. They live like a few hours away. We got we got a road trip. Someone who doesn't have imagination is going to say, oh, "Damn it, I want to waste my Saturday afternoon." Me though, as a young young boy with imagination just bursting out of my pores, says, "Oh hell yeah!" And this is why. This is about the time that the Matrix came out. And I remember I was sitting in like the back seat of the car, and I did this every time I got in the car. People probably thought I was crazy. I'm looking up at the telephone wires, and I did this with my fingers. And then, and then he gets off, runs to the cornfield. I'm doing this, and in my head, this isn't a cornfield. This isn't. This isn't a telephone wire. This is the Matrix. This is the Matrix. This may mean a lot of things now to adults, but this is the Matrix when you're a kid. And it's just the most beautiful thing in the world. Literally anything. Or like, or like uh, toilet paper rolls. Tape two of them together. You can see 8,000 miles from here. Quick, launch the galleys. Quick, the cannons. Load them. Because that toilet paper roll becomes a telescope. I've discovered land. It's amazing. It's beautiful. You can't do this anymore. And you don't get those simple joys when you grow up. I'm not encouraging you guys to go home and duct tape toilet paper rolls and do it now. But don't ignore your imagination. I'm going to keep talking. So another thing I've noticed, uh, and this was actually this morning. Another thing I noticed about childhood that you don't really realize, you don't like look back and like, oh yeah, totally. But you look at it when you're young, because you don't really remember so many memories when you're like super young. But I was hanging out with my um, nephew this morning. Got it. Um, and the other thing that you have experienced as a childhood is like you, you depend on your imagination. It's like a, this huge part of your life. And the other thing is, for the most part, um, hopefully, parents. Like they're just like you... The only person that's important to you is your parents. Like, what, like, like, everyone else's, every kid's opinion, like, yeah, but my dad, you don't understand. Like, it's just like the most person, important person in your life is your parents. And they're just like the end all be all. They know everything. They might as well be God. They just might as well be. Um, so I was playing with my nephew this morning and we were playing with like some toys and I just noticed it like really, really starts to stink. I'm like, hey, hey, uh, Connor, did you, you poop your, poop your diaper? And he looks at me and he just gets like super red cheeks. And he does not say a word. So I get out and I say, I was talked to his grandma. Mama I said, hey, I think he pooped his diaper. And he says, Con, I got to change your diaper. And he just won't let her change it. So I get back in there. I start playing with him. And he's like, hey, you, you want to let my grandma? He's like, here's the thing, Dave. He doesn't say it in this adult tone, but you can get the idea. He's <laughs> like, here's the thing, Dave. Um, yes, I pooped my diaper. I don't think grandma's going to change it. I don't want her to. 
just going to wait for Ma to pick me up, and she can change it when I get home. <laughs> and the actual tone was like a three-year-old's, Dave, um, we'll just wait till Ma, gets, uh, Ma picks me up, and we'll, I'll, I'll change it then. <laughs> That's like the tone he uses. But what he's really thinking is, no one's touching my ass but my birth-given mother. Sorry, Grandma, I love you. But this is my mom we're talking about. And for the whole time, like, she kept coming back. She's like, what if I, and my, my grandma comes, or my mom comes in. She's like, well, I'll give you some M&Ms. So, and, and then she would just look to me. He didn't look at her because he's, like, terrified of her now because he's, like, thinking about her touching his butt. And he's like, oh, no. And then he looks to me and he's like, so, no, Dave. <laughs> we're just, we're just going to let Ma do it when she comes and picks me up. <laughs> and it was just the cutest thing in the world. Again, um. Doesn't really have anything else to do with my story, but I think my time might be up. So that's what I'm, that's my childhood commentary. Thank you, David. Give it up for David. Our next storyteller is a very funny man. Uh, in days past, you would catch him on stage at uh, the comedy club on State. I don't think he's really doing that anymore. But you can catch him. You you can uh, catch him writing articles on ToneMadison.com. Uh, he's a very funny man. He's very insightful. Please put your hands together for Chris Lay. Thank you. I'm killing it with these intros, I gotta say. Just crushing it. He used to do this thing, doesn't do it much anymore. Nah, all right. Eh, welcome up this quitter. It's cool. So, uh, when the whole like uh, childhood memory thing, I thought about doing my first memory, and then I realized my first memory was sitting on my mother's lap when she was pregnant with my brother and me not being able to fit. Which, as it turns out, actually didn't happen to me. It happened in a Berenstein Bears book. <laughs> so I just wanted to throw that out there as a means of framing everyone's memory that it's probably fucked. So there you go. Yes. Um, and I'm also going to kind of push the boundaries, I guess, of childhood. This is a middle school story, and it's about me coming into possession of the first pornographic thing that I ever came to be. Yeah, woo. Let's do that. So the bus in middle school, like sixth grade, whatever, sixth, seventh grade, would drop me off. Uh, at the top of not my street, but the street one street over. And so I would walk down this other street and cut through this guy's backyard some days. And the house of the yard that I cut through, it was a shitty house, just garbage house, like no bushes, mud, just kind of like going up all over the like the, the bricks on the bottom, like all the, the bushes are dying. There's nothing going on. And every now and again, you'd see the car there, and the car would have a vanity plate. Clearly, it's the only part of his life where there is real vanity. And then the plate said Egon, E-G-O-N, just like the guy from Ghostbusters, Egon. And so there was one day... Oh, and he also played the drums. If you were walking by every now and again, you would just hear a drum solo going off in this, like, a, in this guy's house. And so there's one day where I was cutting through his house, and I was like, is Egon his name? I wonder. And what I did was I opened up his mailbox <laughs> to pull out some mail and be like, is this guy's name Egon? It is. 
turns out. And then also, uh, he is on the mailing list of a pornographic VHS tape uh, distributor. This is how old maybe I am, maybe how young you are, where this is a thing. There were magazines that you would get that had all of like the VHS tape. VHS tapes already were into like old people territory. And not only that, all of the covers for these tapes don't have any nudity on them. Like the pictures that are in the thing, it's the naked people, but they have little tiny stars covering up their bits. They're like, we're not giving you any kind of a, like a real free taste. Like you got you to buy the tape if you want to find out what's under those stars, fella. But for me, as like a you know, 12, 13-year-old kid, it's just like, just like blows your mind open and just ran off. I just ran off with this, um, you know, catalog of tapes. Uh, now, my parents are divorced. My dad's living in a separate place. So I ended up taking it to my dad's place to let it hang out. And did my mom to find it, I guess. And I don't know if you know, um, a little while later, I met a dude in middle school who was like, I'll sell you a porno magazine. I was like, this is a million times better. Like, there's no stars on it. It'll be great. It'll be that much better. And so he brought me, his name was Cedric, and he brought me a penthouse from, I don't know where the hell he got it. But when he pulls it out of his backpack to like trade under the table at the cafeteria or whatever, I go, that's not a penthouse. That's some weird industrial parts magazine that you've got. And he's like, no, no, no. I just ripped the cover off stuff my dad has and then put it on these porno mags. And then nobody knows they're porno mags. I'm like, well, that's brilliant. That's clearly like a porno genius. Uh, you're three steps ahead of the curve here. So I then take this back to, you know, whatever, and I end up using that, uh, the cover. I put that on the porno tape magazine, and then I end up getting busted with it. And A, there's a lot of dimensions here that I'm sure my father had to... Uh, you know, kind of confront. First of all, your kid's looking at porno, thumbs down. I mean, like, you know, thumbs down-ish. Like, it's bound to happen. Like, you can't... You're ma- magnetically drawn to it as, as, as a straight man. You're going to end up there, at some, you know, at some point. On the other hand, like, what's he doing with his stupid industrial parts, like, cover? Like, just this horrible stock image. Like, I'm not an idiot. Like, my kid's not going in there to learn about, like, tr- you know, tractor parts. Like, when he's taking a crap, like, that's not, that's, and then, so, the guy who I stole it from, that was like a a house over, or like a street over from the house that my dad lived in when my parents were married, and so then he, you know, confiscates this thing, and then he looks at this porno tape thing, and he's like, well, I know that street, that's one street over from where I live. How did my son get this like porno catalog? And like as an adult, I can go back and be like, maybe he thought this guy gave this to me in exchange for like touchings or I don't know, some kind of like horrible, like worst imaginable case scenario. And so then I'm just like, well, I just stole it from his mailbox. And he's like, well, that's still a federal crime, but it's way better than. 
like the worst case scenario. Don't steal things from other people's mailboxes. That was the lesson I learned. Uh, thank you very much. I'll give Adam a second. Thank you, Chris. Sorry, we had a bit of an emergency that I had to deal with. Uh, that's why I'm late. Is Vanessa... Vanessa. I'm going to quit drinking now. <laughs> Is Vanessa Harold still here? Vanessa. All right, everybody put their hands together for Vanessa. Thank you. So he doesn't know me, so he can't tell any embarrassing stories about me, but I can tell embarrassing stories about me. So I'd like to start with a confession, and I'm nervous because this is being recorded because my mom's going to hear, but I once, when I was younger, went into my mom's leather wallet in her purse and stole a $20 bill to put in my cash box for my savings to buy craft beads from Stats Floral Shop. So that gives you like a little bit of a sense of what kind of kid I was, like 98% pretty good and boring, and like 2% mischievous. So that's like a sense of who I was. So this story takes place, I was in fifth grade, early 90s, Southern California. Please don't hold it against me that that's where I'm from, and don't tell anybody. I like to pretend that I'm from here. So I was reading Seventeen Magazine and YM because that was cool. And I was also still the kid who was organizing my sticker book. And I would write to Publishers Clearinghouse and enter myself because I wanted them to send me mail and show up with the giant check. And I also um, sent away to the advertisements in the back of Seventeen Magazine because I maybe was a lonely kid. I don't know. I don't know. But also, I, I had a big imagination. So at some point, this stack of 4 by 6 cards came in the mail. And they were wrapped in cellophane with my name on the front. And this was clearly some marketing thing that I had sent away for. And inside was this card that was like, be in a beauty pageant. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> because that's what sticker book organizing girls do. So I had this secret dream, and this is, I have never said this out loud before, but I wanted to be a model, and I was like, I'm going to be in this beauty pageant, and I'm going to get discovered, and it's going to be awesome. I don't know if anybody out there had that same thought when you were a kid, but that's also kind of like what we were sold, I think, at least in the early 90s. So my parents are the best parents in the whole entire world because they let me fail on my own, which is how I learn, but they were like, sure, Vanessa. Go for it. So, like, they signed me up. We did the preparation, which was buying a dress for the evening wear competition. It was a Jessica McClintock. It was red, like upholstery fabric. It had it was shoulderless with these giant bows and a princess waistline, and I had dyables, which was the coolest thing in the world to me at that point. Also, I'll give you like a little sense of who I was in the rest of my life and to everybody else. I was this tall, like as tall as I am now, which is really tall when you're in fifth grade and when you're a girl, like super weird skinny kid. And I played volleyball, but I had these like sticks for legs with giant knock knees. So if anybody has a dog and you have those rawhide bones with the knots in them, like that's what I looked like. I just kind of like wandered around. I had these big teeth and I wasn't shaving my legs and they were extremely like furry and like glistening. And everybody just complimented me that I was tall. And I was like, I'm tall and models are tall. But I never said any of this out loud. So we do, we do the preparations. And my parents 
they know when I'm going to fail, like a hundred miles before I do, but they're like, go for it, kid. So I have the dress for like, we're getting ready. It's like the week before the show. And on Friday, we go to the hotel in LA and you kind of like sign in. And this is like a cattle call pyramid scheme to make money and make girls feel bad. Some of you are nodding, like maybe you have done this before. So you get there, and I don't know how young the girls were, but it went up through high school, and it was like, not me. Like, curled hair, eyeliner, makeup, fancy clothes, like kids with stage parents who had been doing this their whole entire life. And I didn't, I realized I was different, but I wasn't like, oh shit, I'm going to lose. So we go through this thing, you get your number, you do a little bit of rehearsal, like step, step, turn to the judges, back up, you know, you get like enough information to kind of know how it's going to go. So it's the next day, and like one of my parents takes me early, early to the hotel, and I'm getting ready, which means like putting on some clothes, whereas everybody else is like doing their hair and their makeup, and it's like a big deal. And I, I, I'm nervous, but I also don't care. It's like this is this thing that I want to do, and I'm just going to go do it. So the first thing that we do is the sportswear. And this is how ignorant and naive I am, which I think is fantastic. So for me, I'm like, sportswear volleyball uniform, which was, yeah, side-out shorts. I don't know. Did you have side-out shorts in Wisconsin? Like puffy nylon shorts that were like this big. They're like men's swim trunks. But as girls, we cut out the liners. Yeah. So that was me with the knees and the legs. And these um, these high-top volleyball shoes that looked like wrestling shoes. They were beige and super tall with like the gel soles. Totally awesome. And then my giant jersey t-shirt with my number on the back. And I brought a prop and the volleyball under my arm. So you come out on stage and it's like a line of you and they call your number and you're like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm so good. Not good, right? Because sportswear is like dresses and blazers. So I missed that memo and I must have looked really, really silly. Flats, not like weird army wrestling shoes. I also don't think that I'm phased. I mean, I'm nervous just like anybody else, but I'm not, I'm not freaking out. So then it's the evening wear portion. I put on my dress. We do the same thing. We all walk out. We line up. They call your number. Miss Harold, name, number, I don't know. You walk forward. You do your thing. But this is about brains, not just beauty. So you get a question. Number 3142, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? I'd give my dad enough money to start his own business. <laughs> not a real wow of an answer. <laughs> I'm not going to save the whales. I'm not going to like feed hungry kids. I'm going to help my family, which in my brain, I'm like, that's awesome. I want to help my dad. Did not wow anybody except the eight people in the audience, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, nana, papa, brother, best friend, who were like, yeah, you go. <sighs> so you don't go back in line, go off stage. So that's like, that's the first cut. So they bring everybody in our age group out, and there's probably like a hundred girls on stage. And I, I'm maybe feeling like I have a chance. And so what do they do? They call forward the people who make it to the next round. So they're calling people, and I'm still standing here, still standing here, still standing here. Oh. And the thing is, I don't remember what I felt in that moment. Obviously, I made it, right? Like... I ended up being fine. But I don't remember feeling like a failure. I remember that I did this thing that I really wanted to do, but I didn't die because I failed. I don't really remember the rest of the night except I took a picture with my best friend and I got some flowers. But I think back 
to how like naive and stupid and embarrassing and totally brave and awesome I was to do that. And like, wouldn't it be cool if we could channel our fifth grade selves and do all that crazy stuff that we didn't know any better to not do because we didn't fit in or how it was going to turn out. And I think about my 34 year old adult self and how often my fear of failure holds me back from doing the stuff that I really want to do. And I feel like maybe I should just channel that fifth grader and not be worried about what I'm going to lose, but instead maybe what I have to gain. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. I am out of breath right now, and I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) Just so you know, ladies, the downstairs ladies' restroom is inoperable. I'm sure the toilet works, but the door is locked, and we cannot get it unlocked. The reason I'm out of breath is because I've been running back and forth trying to find tools because there was a lady locked in the bathroom. (laughs) So she could not get out. We finally said, there's a screen at the bottom of the door. Just kick it. (laughs) And she's like, I think, I think I can do that. So she kicked it, went flying and she crawled through. So, Hey, give it up for ingenuity, right? about the most stressful night I've ever had here. Uh, Ginny Hesness? Is Ginny still here? Okay, everybody put your hands together for Ginny! Hello. Uh, I've literally never done this in my life, so judge nicely. (laughs) But, uh, so I have a series of stories, and they all kind of coincide. Um, I have a question first, though. Um, who of you have ever thought back to your childhood, and you think of the things that you did to your parents, that you wonder why you're not adopted? <laughs> I have thought so many times that I need to, like have a therapist to talk to to be like I did this thing and I feel so bad my mom's like passed away now so I can't go up to her and say I'm so sorry sir for what I did to you but I do have my dad so I I have a little bit of a little bit of leeway there so I'm gonna go ahead and tell you a couple stories that happened to me or not necessarily happened to me but happened to my parents uh when I was younger So one of them that I can think of, um, I do recall hating olives when I was younger. And <clears throat> this story starts off with olives because I'm standing in you know the middle of this door, this doorway, and my parents are separated. So my mom is coming to pick me up <clears throat> and she brings you know this jar of olives for some reason. I don't know why you would bring your ex-husband olives. But she did, as some sort of peace offering. But um, 
so I decided to try one and I still did not like olives and I was like I threw it on the floor and I was like fuck this why are you ever trying to make me eat olives again anyway so they're distracted probably eating the shit out of those olives I don't know what's going on So I go back and I say, well, I'm just going to go chill in mom's car because we're going home. So I get in there. It's a little blurry on what had happened in between the olives and the car. But somehow I got in the front driver's seat and I the, the keys were still in there for some strange reason. I don't know if it was back in the 90s where you were really trustworthy of everything and you just left the keys in the car no matter what. And it was like a sketchy neighborhood of like Monona. Like, I mean, come on. So... I get back in the car and I decide to just like undo the little brake thing and uh, I, I think that's, I feel like that's all that she had. I think she had like an automatic car or a, um, a stick shift car. So I I just undid the, the hardcore lock thing and I'm just chilling there like, yeah, I'm driving the car and I'm like going like this. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I see my parents like, what? And they drop the jar of olives, and they're just like, "Ah!" And so they run after me, and my mom pushes me over. I don't know how she did this, because it was like, there was a set of garage doors right back here. So say this wall is garage doors. Say, like, the the back window there is where they were standing originally. So my mom's, like, sprinting it, like... She is coming. She just jumps in the car, pushes me over because the door is still open because I'm too little to reach the door and I didn't want to close it. (laughs) So she pushes me over. Somehow she like yanks that, you know, lock back up before we run into the garages. I don't know how that happened. But right at that moment, it really makes me wonder why I continued to be part of that family. Another story is actually, you know, my sister and I are a lot alike. Um, And and I'll tell you one story and a follow-up story that's about my sister that you'll see how alike we are, but it it really makes, makes you think that we really should have been sent elsewhere. So... Uh, one Christmas, I was with my dad, and of course we got two Christmases, so yay for us. Um, <clears throat> and I'm sitting there really excited. My dad had told me that um, he had gotten um, a present for my sister that was, you know, one of those things that um, Steve Urkel from uh, Family Matters, what did he play? What are those things? Accordions? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I thought he said that he had an accordion for my sister. He had bought one for her. And I was like, that is so cool! Like in the 90s. I'm like, yeah, accordion! (laughs) Never would I say that now. Anyway, so I'm really excited for accordion. But I'm at the same time, I'm like, but I'm the musical one in the family. Whatever. You guys are assholes. I didn't use that word back then, but I've found a few choice words to describe those young child feelings since then. Um, So he comes out with this machine, and it is not an accordion. It is a karaoke machine. 
I don't know how I mixed up karaoke machine with accordion, but I was severely disappointed. I mean, now I love karaoke, but back then I was like, fuck that shit, what the hell is that? But, so I'm sitting there like, what the hell? Why didn't you get me anything that was like musical or anything? I'm the one that's going to be a star. Like, my sister's two years older than me, so like, it doesn't really matter. But so, he brings out this guitar for me. He brings out a guitar for me. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sitting here bitching about the fact that my sister got a karaoke machine and I don't have an instrument. <laughs> I would have kicked my ass out that night. I would have been like, I got you a guitar, bitch. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and then my sister, um, she wanted a Molly doll, a Molly uh, American Girl doll for the longest time. And my mom didn't have enough money to get it, so she decided to make it. And my mom's really good at the sewing machine and just is, like, so incredible. So she made, like, a replica of the American Girl doll Molly for my sister. When my sister found out that it was not the original Molly doll, shit hit the fan. And when I mean shit hit the fan, I mean Molly hit the fan. Like, she threw it. Like, she just, like, tore it apart. It was not a doll anymore. She was so pissed off that it was not the real Molly doll. Can you imagine, as an adult, having children right now? Working that hard to make your daughter so happy. And then to just have it ruined. That that makes me never want to have children. It does get better. So good luck. And that's all I have. Thank you. Okay, so it is 9.10 right now. We've got about 40 more minutes that we can uh, do this because we need to start cleaning up at about 9.50. <clears throat> My light is on. Just ignore it. Uh, so, next, uh, just okay. All all the next storytellers, you just got to be aware. At about five minutes, I'm gonna give you the light, uh, and that really means you've got one minute to go. I apologize. We ran a little late. It is what it is. So when you see my light flashing at you, wrap it up for serious. Uh, our next storyteller is Blake Alexander. Give it up for Blake. Good evening. All right. So, on the timeline of Blake, there's a very distinct worst memory every single year. Halloween. So, first four years of my life, parents are too busy, dad's in the army, doing like Arnold Schwarzenegger predator things in some jungle, you know, postcards, whatever. Uh, Mom's working two jobs. Your five rolls around. It's the 90s. It's Mighty Morphin Power Ranger time. So, Mom finds this great deal. I get to be Blue Ranger for Halloween. I got the sound effects gloves. I'm punching, making sounds, kneeing myself in the face, trying to do high kicks. It's amazing. There are concerns. The concerns were well met. Fell down the stairs. 
I spent that night with a cracked Blue Power Ranger mask. I don't actually remember the night. I have the Polaroids to prove it, though. So no more masks. You're, you're two. So next Halloween. Uh, terrible face paint. It's running into my eyes. Kind of crying. We're the Simpsons. The yellow didn't wash out for days. <laughs> you ever want to be the most mo- most fa- most made fun of kid on the playground? Have leftover yellow Bart Simpson face paint come Wednesday. <sighs> Man, tough times. Next year, I get to be a penguin. Batman. Mom got to be Catwoman. Dad got to be Batman. I got to be a penguin. Not the penguin, just a penguin. <laughs> Brother gets born next year. No one has time. Well, fine, he can have a mask. Goosebumps. Oh, yeah. I got my nice TV quality green mask. Brother sees it the first time, shits his diaper. <laughs> Brother sees it again, shits his diaper. <laughs> Brother sees it for a third time, pukes all over my mom, shits his diaper. No more masks! <laughs> and then revenge was sought on me for getting the scariest mask. Next year rolls around. Bug theme, face paint, bumblebee, finally got fat, face paint from year three, back again, yellow stripes come Monday, oh my god, oh that was terrible, next year, pirate, poked myself in the eye, had to wear an eye Actual eye patch at school. No more props. Also, they would, also my dad, like gone 364 days of the year, there for holidays sometimes. I like never saw my candy. Like, I, at the end of the day, I had like the Tootsie Rolls. No full size candy bars, nothing. Just overall, just terrible. And Easter was even worse. Pick up my Easter eggs, put them in my basket, got my candy. He'd run up behind me doing his like sneaky army ninja stuff. <laughs> Take it out. <laughs> Go hours finding these eggs. Go home with no candy. No, he didn't give back the candy. I see your looks in the eyes. No. He was mean. <laughs> he didn't like me until we were like drinking beer at like 16. That's not the worst childhood memory, definitely. Um, so, yeah, Halloween. Oh, I got the light. Okay, so... What else can I going to say about Halloween? Jesus Christ, it was terrible. It haunts me. Except that green mask. I found it, like, a year ago. Still make my, my brother shit his pants. All right, have a great night. Thank you. Thank you, Blake. All right, next up we've got Mark Lydon. I'm not wasting any time. Mark, are you still here? Give it up for Mark Lydon! 
Good evening. So I grew up in western Iowa, and uh, as a kid I went, did a lot of canoeing with my family, Boy Scouts, and uh, had some great, great times with that. Fast forward a couple of years, I'm in high school. <clears throat> in this uh, anatomy and physiology class, Mrs. Blatchford, right? Mrs. Blatchford was awesome. She was a great instructor, and she was the dragon lady. She smoked probably a pack a day, possibly a pack and a half a day, just all the time. But she was a fantastic instructor and would do whatever we wanted. Hey, Mrs. Blatchford, we're taking apart frogs. We're taking about taking about pigs. Let's do let's do an let's do an autopsy. Let's do a real autopsy on a human, like not us, but let's go to one. All right, she says. Let's let's hook that up. Let's make that happen. So I grew up in this town where there were two hospitals. My dad worked as at one as a pharmacist, and we went to the other crosstown hospital. We went to St. Luke's Memorial Hospital, and the class was probably about I don't know twenty of us, but there were about maybe eight that went to the autopsy that day. There was one other dude, and there were six girls including the girl that I was dating at that time. And it was going to be awesome. And I remember going to this autopsy thinking, this is great. And all of you are going to pass out. And I am going to be the one that remembers everything and learns all of it. And just, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. And this is awesome. So... Yeah, we get there that day. We get this uh, noontime with the class of Mrs. Blatchford's A&P, whatever, report to that spot. Go. So we all met up. The teacher gets us. We go there. Boom. We get in the room, and the doctors and the, the, the physician's like, okay, so this is what happened. You guys ready for this? This is real. Like, this is not a pig. It's not a frog. This is real. There are two people that we're doing autopsies on today. And they died together. It was a dad and his son, and they were canoeing. I'm like, whoa. Okay, this is, yeah, this is real. And uh, they were canoeing, and the reason we're doing this autopsy is to see what killed them, to see if they died because their life jackets failed or if they died when they hit the rocks as they tumbled over this low overhead dam. And that's why we're doing this. And so this is what we want you to do. And so they kind of like, this room probably about the size of this stage. And we're all lined up around the back of it. And I'm over here. And the doc wheels this gurney in. In the morning, they had done his son. This evening, they were doing, this afternoon, they were doing this dude. And we'd all just eaten lunch, right, just after lunch. And this dude gets rolled in in a body bag. It's legit. And there's John, and there's the six other girls lined around, and then there's the teacher here, and there's a door like not too far from me, and zip, body bags open, and there's this dude, wet still, heads kind of back like ah, this, and there's water and chunks floating in his mouth, still very clear memory. And, uh, and then the doc, you know, peels the clothing off, and now there's this naked, bloated. White guy there, probably like five, six or something, and he's still wet. And at this point, I'm just like, okay, I'm getting tired and hot, and I'm not feeling great, and I'm just going to lean back against the wall, kind of like this. 
And now I'm feeling really kind of hot, and I just kind of slipped. And that was the first time that I fainted. I stand back up, I'm like, no, I'm cool, I'm cool, I got this, I'm under control, it's good. And the doc's like, okay, let's grab this scalpel, and he... Now, keep in mind, what's happening is there's this naked dude with a shriveled penis right there with a room full of high school girls, and they're laughing at the size of his shriveled penis. And I'm thinking, this could be my dad, right? Because I went canoeing with my dad. And so the scalpel comes out, and he does this Y cut, and it's a cut from here to here to here with the intent to begin, right? So this is getting pretty heavy and still pretty hot, and I'm seeing this, and yeah. And I'm like, I, I got to get a drink of water. Rectangular door frame, steel, hospital, 1960s construction, slam, right here. And I can very clearly recall the sound of the cardboard boxes that I fell into that cushioned my fall, thankfully, as I rolled to the ground. So, got the one minute warning. Hit the ground, and, uh, The dock's right on me. It's a great place to pass out and get a cut into your forehead that's deep enough that the doctor can look at it and go like, oh, I can see your skull. (laughs) And now I can hear the girls like, oh, my God. And the dude's like, oh, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) And uh, so they, yeah, pass out in the hospital. They get me into a wheelchair, and they start wheeling me through, and they call to the Crosstown Hospital, and my dad gets the call, and he's, I, I remember being in this wheelchair, getting pushed through this tunnel, and the, my dad comes walking over, and he just got this, like, grin on his face, he's like, <laughs> so, that happens, uh, they stitch me up, I go to school the next day, and there's this, like, massive patch, and it's like Moses parting the Red Sea, going through the hallways, and all the kids are like, whoa, you're the kid who saw the autopsy. Um, so that happened. It's kind of a scar story. It's kind of from high school. Appreciate the levity to uh, make this happen tonight. But I think about this uh, now. I've got two kids, my wife and I. We take them canoeing. And uh, I think about that family and that, that boy and his dad. And the, uh, what happened was they rolled and... The, uh, the life jackets did not function because the water held them down and they bashed their heads in the rocks low down in the water. That's what happened. Thank you. This is a really uh, uplifting story. <laughs> Give it up for Mark one more time. There you have it, folks. That is our episode for you today. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you uh, aren't afraid of bees and sharks or anything else that we might have talked about. Uh, Again, our next uh, Story Slam event is April 18th. That is a Saturday. We will be at the Wilmar Center again. We'll have some special treats for you. The theme is, it wasn't my fault. Um, So come tell a story about the time that that house burned down and it totally wasn't your fault. Um, that's really all we've got. Uh, look for an episode in the coming week uh, with comedian Shane Moss as my guest. Other than that, 
Go out, be happy, go visit our sponsors at Ale Asylum, Carbon 4, on all the rest. We'll see you next time.